Well, good morning, Sun Valley Church, and welcome back to The Voice of the Valley. I'm Jeremy Pinch, and again, today, I have Pastor Rick Whitmer and Pastor John Schubert. Guys, it's good to see you. Good morning. Good morning. It's good to see you, too. Yeah, good to see you. Well, we, uh, we're working our way through our statement of faith uh, over these next few weeks. Last week, we looked at the Holy Scriptures. This week, we are going to touch on the Trinity a little bit. Uh, we're going to look at God the Father. This is really like a 100,000-foot a flyover uh, of the Trinity. Uh, Which today. is like, yeah, space? Space. Pretty much. We're, we're well into space. Mm-hmm. Take that, Elon Musk. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yes, we're gonna we're gonna take a look at the Trinity and then dive into God the Father, and then next week we'll take a look at God the Son. Uh, so, like I did last week, I'm gonna read through uh, our statement here, and then we'll uh, we'll work our way through it. So, our statement reads like this: it says we teach that there is but one living and true God, an infinite, all-knowing Spirit perfect in all his holiness, one in essence, eternally existing in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, each equally deserving worship and obedience. Regarding God the Father, we teach that God the Father, the first person of the Trinity, orders and disposes all things according to his own purpose and grace. He is the creator of all things. As the only absolute and omnipotent ruler in the universe, he is sovereign in creation, providence, and redemption. His fatherhood involves both his designation within the Trinity and his relationship with mankind. As creator, he is a father of all men, but he is spiritual father only to believers. He has decreed for his own glory all things that come to pass. He continually upholds, directs, and governs all creatures and events. In his sovereignty, he is neither the author nor approver of sin, nor does he abridge the accountability of moral, intelligent creatures. He has gracious, graciously chosen from eternity past those whom he would have as his own. He saves from sin all who come to him through Jesus Christ. He adopts as his own all those who come to him, and he becomes, upon adoption, father to his own. All right. So that first little section is is touching a little bit on on the Trinity, um, and so it it reads just one more point here. It, it says again that in, in infinite, uh, the true God is infinite, all knowing, Spirit, perfect in all His attributes, one in essence, eternally existing in three persons: Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, each equally deserving worship and obedience. Now, our Muslim friends would see something like that and say, well, this is obviously polytheism. This is, this is multiple gods here. Uh, how is this not polytheism? We, we call it Trinitarianism. That's why it's not polytheism. And we say right there. <laughs> Drop the mic right there. That's it. <laughs> and we say in the paragraph, which you read, Jarrett, um, we teach that there is but one living true God. And then further down, uh, he is perfect in all his attributes, one in essence. So we need to understand, which is challenging, the Trinity. It's one God, one essence, 
three beings that make up that one. And there's been all sorts of attempts by mankind to try to explain that, you know, using, you know, water, you know, in its different forms, the, the chicken egg, and all those fall short, obviously, you know, to, to describe, you know, the, the triunity of our one God. Uh, and it is a mystery, obviously. Um, but nonetheless, the Bible teaches the oneness of God in three persons. Uh, and I think as difficult as it is, we don't have the problem of saying we're not polytheistic. We say he's one God. He's one in three. And so I, I don't know. I mean, we can, we can get into the details. I'm not sure you want to do that in this podcast, but, um, there's been volumes literally written on the Trinity, trying to explain the Trinity from profound perspectives. Mm -hmm. And it is not easy. We're not saying it is. We're just saying we believe what the Bible teaches about his oneness and his threeness. So, uh, I don't know, Rick, what would, how would you pursue that? Um, it, when it comes to Trinitarianism, right, this is, this is the defining thing of our faith. Um, every single other doctrine that we hold as Christians is, it hinges on one God in three persons. Um, it's not polytheistic, you know, like John says, because the, the first thing that we see scripture affirming clearly throughout from the beginning to the end is that there is only one God. Um, and this is something that distinguishes, um, biblical faith from idolatry. You know, the gods of the nations, you, you, you read that all throughout scripture and there's this ongoing contrast, you know, and at the heart of, um, biblical Judaism, God tells, he tells his people, um, you know, the thing that they confess every day is there's one God, mm-hmm. you know, Deuteronomy yeah, God is one. six, four. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that's the, the reality that, that carried the Jews all the way through. And that was, but, but even mm-hmm. the Jews struggled with that, right? In Jesus's day. You mean in the fact that Jesus, in regard to his claims, Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because they understood. They That's had a hard why they time. stoned him or wanted to stone yeah. him. Right. Because they knew by what he was saying that he was making himself God. And so they, they couldn't wrap their minds around what we understand in, in theological terms to be the persons mm-hmm. of God. And yet there's hints in the Old Testament of mm-hmm. the triunity of God. Yeah. You know, the, the appearances of, of God in, in fleshly form, you know, those that came to visit Abraham those that that visited you know different characters in the old testament history joshua for example mm-hmm. uh and and the record of moses of the creation let us make yeah that's a plural mm-hmm. and so uh there was there was a remote understanding of a multiplicity of persons of the godhead but it wasn't well-defined. And I think the reason it wasn't well-defined was because of the propensity of the people to pursue other gods. Hmm. Um, and I think until it was cemented in the hearts and minds of the Jewish people that there is only one God to worship and serve, did the possibility of considering his triunity was even presented. I mean... Jesus came after the Babylonian captivity. 
mm-hmm. right? So the Babylonian captivity was primarily about teaching them there is one God, mm-hmm. <laughs> not multiple gods. Right. And so um, once they learned that and were clear on that, then um, the plan of God would introduce more um, um, clearly, I guess, the possibility of persons of the Godhead, mm-hmm. starting with, you know, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity. Although <clears throat> David in the Psalms asks in Psalm 51 that he says, take not your Holy Spirit from me. Yeah. And so they understood that there was something there. Not They weren't sure how to define it. They weren't sure how to worship that being but David recognized it and if David recognized it the priest recognized it and so it was there right uh, in in essence in their theology they just didn't know how to describe it and so when Jesus comes along it was a front to their monotheism mm-hmm. um, and you know John the Apostle makes a point of that in John 5 mm-hmm. um, where Jesus claims Godhood because he does the work of the Father. He was sent by the Father, does the work of the Father, does everything the Father does, and called him Father. And in verse 18 of John 5, it says, this is why they picked up stones to, to you know, stone him, because he claimed to be equal with God. Yeah. Do you think John the Baptist had a pretty good idea of Trinitarian theology at the baptism of Christ? I don't know. Or do you think it was kind of unclear for him? He was a Jew. Yeah. He was a first century Jew, Jew pre-Jesus Jew. Um, so I'm not, I, I mean, how do we know? Yeah. He knew that he was the Lamb of God yeah. who takes away the sin of the world. And I think he probably knew enough theology to know what that meant sure. or he wouldn't have said it. Sure. I mean, he knew what the, what the Old Testament sacrificial practices were all about. Obviously, when he says, well, here he is, this is the one we've been waiting for. This is the Lamb of God who takes, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So he knew that much. Whether he had a clear understanding is what you asked of Trinitarian theology. I doubt it. Um, But he may have. I'm not certain the apostles understood it fully. Sure, sure. You know, they, they didn't really know until Jesus taught them towards the end uh, after they had been saved, what the presence of the Holy Spirit meant. Mm. Pentecost, you know, after Jesus left, was a big deal to them. Yeah. So. Yeah. You know, we see these these very, you know, looking retrospectively, very clear uh, markers of Trinitarianism all throughout the Old Testament. Um, you know, Jesus, as he bungles the Pharisees, they're close to Passion Week. He says, um, or in pa- I think it was in Passion Week, when he said, uh, how does David say mm-hmm. to him, you know, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. You know, how it, we have the Father talking to the Son um, and saying, sit at my right hand. That That points to a distinction between the Father and the Son, mm-hmm. something that we know a lot more clearly now in the light of Jesus coming. Um, you know, Psalm 2 as well, um, in where he says, Today I have begotten you. You are my son. I've set my king on Zion, my holy hill. We see a distinction. Again, Genesis, like John said, we see the Holy Spirit active um, 
throughout the Old Testament in a, a different way than we do in the New Testament, and yet all three persons being referred to divinely, mm-hmm. right? And, and this is critical. Um, never more than three. Never more than Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, here in Isaiah 61. And, and never different than Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's exactly. It's not like they insert a different third for one of the others. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's always those three persons. Um, Jesus, when he starts his ministry, he opens to Isaiah 61 in the synagogue, and, he's, and he says, the Spirit of the Lord, okay, God, so we have Father and Spirit, is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. So right there in just the beginning of, I don't even get through the first verse of Psalm, of Isaiah 61 without seeing a distinction between those three persons of the Godhead. Yeah. And, G, and the whole, Jesus' whole point in quoting that is to say, I'm the one, I'm the, I'm the one who is to come. And when we look all the way back to the garden, we see which one was that? Well, the one that, you know, Eve had been anticipating from the moment that, that God promised to bring from her seed the crushing of the serpent's head through that one. That's the one, you know? Yeah. yeah. And I, I want to back up a bit, Jeremy, to one of your questions about did the apostles understand this? They obviously did after Pentecost, right. obviously. Right. But before that, I mean, they, they had questions about the identity of Christ. Right. You know, and I think until after the resurrection, and I think they were believers up to that point. So I, I mean, Thomas is a clear example, didn't understand fully the person of Christ until that encounter after the resurrection, mm-hmm. when he finally acknowledged my Lord and my God. Mm-hmm. So I don't want the listeners here today thinking that we're saying, you know, any of the apostles died not knowing. They all knew after Pentecost exactly. The apostle John, even though this was written probably 30 years after or more after the resurrection, in John 1 says, he, he lays out Trinitarian theology in the first chapter. Right. He goes, you know, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, you know, and he talks about that second person of the Trinity. And then down in verse 18, talks about the spirit, you know, and the father. And so there's, there's ample evidence that by the time Pentecost rolled around, the apostles knew yeah. fully Trinitarian yeah. theology. So what I said was I was referring to them not being certain prior to that time yeah. when they were learning and growing and, you know, being and, brought into that theology. Yeah, because they had just received the Great Commission, right? And, and right before Jesus, uh, he was in, he had come back from the dead. He was talking to them in John 21. He says he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Right. Right. So they, and they're sent out. They, they knew to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Paul, um, with his Trinitarian benediction, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all, 2 Corinthians 13, 14. Yeah. So it's it's all over that. But the thing that we have to realize is that Scripture doesn't come to us in one complete book at one time. Mm-hmm. Where it, it's progressive revelation. So things are becoming more clear the more revelation is given. So by the time the New Testament is completed, these things are in total there right. for us. They're very clear. And then we see this, um, progr- if Scripture comes as progressive revelation, we look at church history at the battles that were fought theologically, and we could say that it, we've been experiencing progressive clarification. Hmm. And the first thing that happens is they're wrestling with in the early church and the creeds and the confessions are coming to us as clarifications of Trinitarian theology. 
and the person and work of Christ. And it's not until later that we get into really clarifying again in the Reformation justification, sanctification, things that are contingent on who God is and what he's done in Christ. And now, you know, we're getting clarification as we continue to go along on details of eschatology and things that weren't the main thing back then. And so that's, I think it's by design. I'm going to be clear on eschatology after it happens. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So. <laughs> <It's>, yeah. <laughs> well, we'll get there, right? We're getting, yeah. I will be after our podcast. I'll figure out what we believe after I listen to the yeah, podcast. Yeah, well, I'm like my dad. He, he, he says, you know, <laughs> some of my... My friends are pre-trib, some are post-trib, some are on, you know, what a millennial or whatever. And he goes, and I'm from my friend. I'm from my friends. <laughs> he goes, I'm pan. It'll all pan out in the end. <laughs> yeah, just as long as you're not trans millennial. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, um, so, I think it's I think it's a common thing for Christians to think in this way. Uh, to think, um, you know, God of the Old Testament, there's God the Father of the Old Testament, and then in the New Testament, or in the Gospels at least, there's there's Jesus, and uh, and then... The kinder version. The kinder version, and then at Pentecost, there's there's the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, there's a, it's a form of what we call modalism, almost. Um, not almost, it is. Uh, where we would say there's only there's one God, but He comes up in just different forms. Yeah, it's not three distinct different persons. modes. Different Hence modes. Hence modalism. Yeah. yeah. Um, so what what's the danger with with that thinking? It's heresy. <laughs> That's <laughs> what's dangerous about it. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, what you know? And seriously, Jeremy, it is heresy, and the reason it's heresy is because it detracts from the work of the Trinity. Mm-hmm. The 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 Trinity. Our, our belief, all of our belief from beginning to end, like Rick said earlier, is dependent on Trinitarian theology. Mm-hmm. We cannot be saved outside of Trinitarian theology. Modalism kills our salvation Yeah, in every way. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, there cannot be the gospel record. There cannot be Pauline theology with modalism. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just a, in fact, I think it's just an ignorant error. It's not, it's not even a theological error. It's just... Can I say it's stupid? It's yeah. just stupid. It makes no sense of any of the scriptures. Yeah, you have to ignore so much clear scripture in order to land at modalism. And the danger with that kind of ignorance is that it can pretty quickly become um, th- da- like willful, right? So there's there's our natural ignorance that and we grow, grow out of. Yeah, but it but then realizing what the scriptures teach and then still holding to our ignorant ideas is damning, like John said, because, you know, Orthodox Christianity, you know, from the beginning has realized that outside of certain boundaries, there can be no salvation because there's been such a gross compromise of the gospel and a discarding of scripture that you've landed in another religion necessarily, Mm -hmm. whatever it is you believe. Mm -hmm. And so theology is always done with two things in mind. There's positive theology and negative theology, and both of them are critical. Like, we have to affirm true things positively that the scriptures say. And almost as soon as we do that, we also have to deny other things that scripture teaches are not true. Mm -hmm. So as soon as we say there is one God in three persons, we immediately deny that there are three gods. Mm -hmm. Which means, to answer your first question, we deny that we are polytheists. Mm -hmm. Right. 
we, you know, you, you started by saying, you know, our Muslim friends think that we are polytheists. No, we're not. We deny that mm-hmm. because he is, he has revealed himself to us in scripture as one God in three persons, mm-hmm. which outside of which there is no salvation. So, yeah, this is critical stuff. And you would think that uh, modalism would be debunked at the baptism of Christ, right? Yeah. Cause well, you, you would think that a lot of heresy would be debunked at the, at the <laughs> period, at the end of Revelation. <laughs> but it's not. Dot. Yeah. yeah. Same you know, tonight. seriously. Yeah. I was way off. <laughs> Swami, swimmy, swim. Yeah. Seriously, there's, there's... And you wonder how much of it is willful. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it's hard it's hard to believe that, that some of this stuff is innocent. Some of this uh heresy um is innocent and there's not an agenda behind it mm-hmm. whether it be for other religions or whatever, but some of the some of the current popular religions that make up a large portion of the world's, you know, population is either a radical blindness that's mm-hmm. I think developed by Satan and his schemes, or just a, a willful decision to reject what's obviously revealed so that they can continue in their lifestyle of either religion or sure. you know, whatever they're living. Their personal agenda. So shallow theology could really be damaging. <laughs> You could say it with another word, damning. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's really dangerous. Yeah. Right? So theology matters. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. And and the reason is because we're not just, we're not just, you know, throwing idea softballs around a field, right? We're actually talking about who God is Mm -hmm. and how we know him, how he has come to save us Mm -hmm. in his son. And we have to get really, you know, these things, okay, we have to get these things clear. So, for example, one of the most common misconceptions in prayer, and it's usually done accidentally by Orthodox Trinitarians, is to, is to pray, Father, thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. Yeah. And that's just an innocent, careless statement. But it's not innocent in the sense of that actually is a heresy that has a name. It's called patripassionism. Mm-hmm. And because the Father did not take on a body, the Father did not come to earth, the Father did not die on the cross for our sins, only the Son of God could do that. And so even though there's... And that's where we get into the beauty of incarnation theology, that what do we affirm about and deny about the nature of the two natures of Jesus? Yeah. That solves so much when and we I, understand it. Yeah, and I, I would say, Rick, that not... That I would think most of evangelicals who pray that prayer unwittingly uh, are not embracing modalism. Yeah, they're not. Right. I, I yeah. think I think they're saying, uh, you know, j- just with um, loose loose thinking, mm-hmm. Father equals God. So God died yep. for me, yeah. and that is a true statement. Yeah. But it was Jesus, the second person of the Godhead, who did so, mm-hmm. and so it's just lack of carefulness right um that i think most i mean i would say 99.9 percent of evangelicals that use that terminology is just laziness sure lack, lack of carefulness mm, yeah yeah I, I i i mean i don't know that i've ever prayed that i maybe i have probably have but it's not i have no commitment to no belief in modalism you see what i'm saying right 
Right. So um, we're we're gonna hold off on God the Father until next week as a, a discussion post uh, post. Even <laughs> so too much post. school. <laughs> too post much pod. school. Okay. <laughs> uh, so. This is obviously a deep subject, the Trinity. Uh, what are some <laughs> What are some books that you guys have read that have been helpful for you as you work through this? I like the Bible. That's a good. The one. Bible's been one of my favorite books that's, that's a on good the one. Trinity. That's a good one. Yeah, the Gospel of John particularly is yeah. helpful, yeah, and, and some of the Pauline epistles. Yeah, there's. I have sixty six top books on the subject. <laughs> <laughs> That's a classic John Stewart answer. Yeah, when he came to my apartment in Tigard to... Well, if you want the bottom line, just ask me. To decide whether or not to invite Jen and me up for an interview. Um, he says, I've got this great book on marriage that I've written. Um, it, it only has two words, obey God. You know, and you're just like, okay, well, I see what we're getting into. I like it. Let's do that. Let's go obey God together. You know, um, so I, there are some systematic theologies that are very helpful, Um at really getting into Trinitarian theology. You hey, know, congratulations, course, by the way, for finishing Biblical not, Doctrine. Okay, thank you. You did it. You yeah, did that's it, a good one. I like uh, Biblical it. Doctrine. That's a good one um, by MacArthur and Mayhew. Uh, Wayne Grudem, uh, John Frame. So any of those guys are going to spend a significant amount of time clarifying and getting into the nitty-gritty of, uh, <laughs> of, of it because you, you can't afford not to. Well, the and, rest that, and those are go good off. summaries. Of, They're really good uh, summaries. And, 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 you know, broad summaries, if you could say it that way, mm-hmm. yeah. of Trinitarian doctrine. But there's also some books written, you know, that are very helpful that, you know, delve into this mm-hmm. in a non-systematic way, yeah. in a more biblical, in a, not more biblical, a bibliology way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, I think, um, oh, what's that? What's that guy? Oh, I can't remember his name now. Uh, he's from Jesus. S- Jesus, no. Oh. <laughs> so, he's from. He too. was from Southern. Um, oh. <laughs> Bonnie Pickens. Bonnie Pickens' brother. You know what I'm talking about? He he wrote some great stuff on on the Trinity. Mm-hmm. I can't think of his name now. I'll think of it in a second. There are two books called, both of them called Delighting in the Trinity. Yeah. Uh, one is by Tim Chester. Um, that's a good one. That's been helpful. Um, uh, and then the other one is by Michael Reeves. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and then, okay, you know, we talk about positive and negative theology, the two ways of theology. Negative theology, pro- probably one of the best books on that that's most entertaining while you know along the way is by todd miles yeah uh, who preaches here uh, once a year he's from western seminary uh, we know him well love him you know at sun valley he wrote a book a couple years ago called superheroes can't save you yeah. and what that book does is it takes um some of the most popular superheroes from comic books because he's a big comic book fan and he and he realized that the way that these superheroes become superheroes actually casts a lot of light on wrong ideas about the Trinity and the person and work of Christ. And so he uses uh, different superheroes each as um, a venue into exploring different Trinitarian heresies. And in the process, he he not only does the negative and say this is not true, he, sh- he goes the, to the positive and, and shows from Scripture why. Yeah. In a super yeah, accessible yeah. and very kind of fun way, especially because now apparently we're in the age of the superheroes as far as the box office hits of all time. So I would recommend superheroes can't save you. 
I appreciate books that are that are put in layman terms, mm-hmm. uh, and I think Delighting in Trinity was was one of those books for me that was super, just basic ground level stuff. Yeah, but was really helpful to by by Michael Reeves. That's the one I'm talking about. Um, that was really helpful for me. Yes, um, you know, as we get into the God the Father next week, like just laying out the fact that God is Father. Like God, God is the father. And that's how, that's how Michael Reeves works through yeah. that portion. And that was really helpful for me. And that's something that, you know, when we're, as we're <clears throat> finishing up talking about the Trinity, that we realize that when we were talking about one God in three persons, you know, we're not talking about three gods. Mm-hmm. We're talking about three divine persons, all who have the full essence of God, who are one. Mm-hmm. And yet there is distinction among those persons Mm -hmm. so that each each has its own his own distinct role um, in creation in salvation in in really in relationship to each other Mm -hmm. and so when we're talking about the eternal one god as father son and holy spirit we're talking about um, god who has eternally been in relationship with his son and and that relationship is in terms of you know he is the only begotten son and the creed, um, the Nicene Creed, is as soon as it affirms that he is one eternal begotten son, it it goes right into the negative theology and says begotten, not made, because that's the way that we yeah. use the term begotten. Yeah. And then the Holy Spirit isn't begotten. He's proceeding <clears throat> from the Father and the Son. Right. And so there's something about those theological terms of personhood, um, subsistence, begetting, proceeding, which are... I can see why people want to stay away from this kind of stuff because that's a headache yeah. in a box, yeah. right? But at the same time, each one of those terms means something and has biblical basis. And when we dive into that, we are very soon realizing we're swimming, you know, in water over our head. And that's why it's it's beautiful to affirm what Scripture affirms, deny what Scripture denies, and then over all of it, throw this umbrella of mystery, mm-hmm. which leads to worship Mm -hmm. because we're not when we're talking about the trinity we're not trying to wrap our heads around god we're trying to simply know god in truth and worship him because of who he is Mm -hmm. and then at the end of the day when we go hey i don't get how this works good because that you can't get to where scripture ends and say hey i got it all yeah you know so we have to understand we're not trying to wrap our minds around this hence the difference between finite and infinite there it is you know there's that but the book i was thinking of is that's really helpful to me when i you know really dug into this a long time ago was by bruce ware And he wrote a book called Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Relationships, Roles, and Relevance. And that was so helpful to me. Yeah. Um, But the ones you mentioned are also very, you know, There's also a guy named, I think his name is John Owen. Yeah. Did he read it? Did he write a book on the Trinity? He wrote a book on everything. <laughs> so, yes, would be the answer to that question. Ask me another question about any subject you want, and it'll be yes. John Owen wrote about it. No, there there are actually those those you know Puritan guys and reformers that all wrote on this matter. Yeah. I think almost every Puritan of note discussed these kinds of things. Um, you know, there's just Thomas Watson wrote on it, obviously Owen, you know, Baxter. Yeah. They all were on point yeah. on the matter. Yeah. 
I think a guy named Calvin wrote about it too. First name? A little yeah. bit. First name Calvin? Johannes? Yeah, Calvin or, Juan. Or, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he is Spanish. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> hmm. Jury's out. Jury's out. Yes, we were going to hold off on the role of God the Father for next week. Uh, but I want to finish here by reading from Ephesians chapter 1 uh, to close us out. Uh, so if, starting in Ephesians 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth and the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Amen. Church, we love you. We look forward to being with you next week on The Voice of the Valley as we talk about God the Father. Have a great day.